Welcome to the Business of You podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Gogos. This podcast is dedicated to helping you uncover how to turn your big idea into big business and grow your personal brand into the business of your dreams. Each week, I'll talk to founders of all kinds of businesses, exploring how they launched and grew their companies. Behind every successful business is an epic journey, one that can serve as a roadmap to help you grow yours. The Business of You is all about frank conversations and unique business wisdom for the entrepreneur. It's a chance to tune into the story behind the brand and retrace the path of those who walked this road before you so you can pave your own road to success. Welcome to The Business of You. Today on The Business of You, I have the founder and CEO of Junking, Michael Andriaki. Junking is an international waste removal franchise with a very heavy focus on recycling and is actually touted for being North America's greenest junk removal service. Michael started Junking in his garage in 2005 with a few other friends, and he has got such a fascinating story. I'm sure you're really going to enjoy it and learn a lot about franchising, scaling a company, and the importance of branding. Enjoy today's episode of The Business of You. All right, today on The Business of You, I've got Michael Andriaki with me. Welcome, Michael. How are you today? I'm wonderful. Thank you. Doing good. It's great to meet you. I'm excited to dive into your story, especially since you've been a little incognito on the web. Yeah, I have, I think, a little bit um, more recently. We're starting to promote corporate a little bit more and myself and in the story. Um, I've always felt like it was about the franchisees. So if we were putting uh, efforts into any type of PR, we've always kind of done it on a local level as they open their units and stuff. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> so, Michael, what gave you the idea to start Junking? Oh, the, the long story or the short story. I, um, you know, for many years worked in like a local family business and they were just wonderful. It was an auto parts store um, and they allowed me to work whenever I wanted. It was like kind of my high school job and into uh, my early years of college. If I wanted to work a day, a month, uh, six months at a time, two hours in a day, I could just show up and clock some hours and get some extra spending money. Um, at some point, uh, it was a, uh, a warehouse of uh, auto parts that we would deliver to all local mechanics. And so when I would go in, I would do more inventory and kind of higher level stuff than like just stocking shelves. Although it wasn't very high level, I shouldn't promote that too much. But um, and but because whenever I showed up, I can there's always it was huge. It was like 30,000 square foot facilities. So there's always a shelf that needed to be reorganized or inventory done. And if I went back two months later, that same shelf that I fixed before now needed to be looked at again. So it was kind of like this endless opportunity, but I had lost my job there at one point for just being young and stupid. And so then I got a job. Um, my wife actually applied for a job for me. I said, what, what are you talking about? I just want to finish college. At this point, I was at my seventh institution, college and university, state school, junior college, uh, kind of chasing a football career. Um, and 
So at that, I was just like, I really need to finish college. Um, I was a criminal justice major. I want to focus on that. And she, I guess, didn't think that was the most brilliant idea to not work. Um, so she said, hey, I sent your resume. I said, I don't have a resume. She's like, I put a little one together for you. Okay, great. Um, and sent it in. And it was with uh, the blue trucks. I went in there and uh, very personable, showed up with a suit and tie. I hire many drivers or navigators over the years and, and none have showed up in a suit and tie, something I look back at now. Um and just did very well in the interview. So I was hired there, looked at their, worked there for six months, looked at their franchise opportunity. Um, you know, the old cliche is, did you think you could do it better um, and, and change the brand? And when you're young, at 25 years old, I wasn't really thinking that. I was just thinking I wanted more opportunity for myself. I also, um, when I went through their opportunity, one, I didn't have the capital uh, to start a franchise and pay a franchise fee. Um, and I think the biggest piece, because I could have maybe figured out the finances behind it, um, was the territory that was available um, closest to me. I didn't know anybody. Um, it wasn't like my backyard. Uh, I didn't know local realtors and grew up in that area and had a, like this built-in network already. So um, decided to with a roommate, uh, get a truck and start hauling our own junk. And, you know, we kind of did it right from the beginning. Uh, in hindsight, my dad said, why don't you get a pickup truck and kind of start small? But we, you know, went out and custom built a junk King truck. Uh, the same trucks we're using today, of course, some small improvements every year to the trucks, but, um, was pretty big investment for not having any customers or really any idea of what we're doing to go buy this beautiful branded truck that cost, you know, $60,000 at the, at the time. Uh, of course we put a down payment, but um, yeah, we just kind of did it, you know, all in from the beginning. And, and that's kind of how it started. There's a little more to, you know, the name and the brand and the colors, but I'll let you lead us. Yeah, no, that was going to be my next question is how did you come up with the name Junk King? So we, um, you know, wanted junk in the name. And then, of course, you're trying to figure out a phone number that that you could because our competitor has such a great name. Um, the name is the number. The name, the number is the, is the name or however you say that. Anyway, um, now, I don't know with new generation, like how that's going to hang on, because for my generation, it really stuck the whole uh got milk kind of slogan thing. Um, that's not really something that the, the younger generation will understand. But anyway, um, was actually driving by, went through all these different junk this, junk that, um, and was driving by Burger King one day and said, oh my God, like, why not Junk King? Um, of course, there's no trademark issue because we're not selling burgers. Um, but uh, so we came up with the name of Junk King from that. Uh, the red came from my business partner at the time had a red, uh, cherry red um, Mustang. And when he would get pulled over, which was often for no reason, frankly, and the police officer would say, your car's red, like it stands out, you know. And a Mustang. <laughs> and a Mustang, right? 1965 Mustang. It was a beautiful vehicle. But um, anyway, so we said, let's go red because it stands out more on the road, certainly from a branding perspective. So we were red and gold and the gold was because of the royalty um, and then added some white to, you know, make the, the logo pop a little bit more. And um, 
have some of those sketches on graph paper um, still of what the logo and brand would look like and putting the crown over the eye and just kind of interesting when you look back at having one truck to now having close to, you know, 550 trucks out there is pretty amazing. Yeah, that is. That is. Yeah. What do you do with the, the, the junk that you haul? It's a great question. We really pride ourselves. So all of our franchisees and ourselves included, and of course, depending on the size of their business, have a warehouse. Um, and at that warehouse, it's not like a dumping transfer station where you dump items and you sort through them. You're, you're strategically, as you're loading the trucks by hand, you're strategically thinking about what materials can be donated or recycled. Um, and then we bring those back to the warehouse and put them in the proper hands. Um, the other items will go to a transfer station or dump. Unfortunately, we still visit those places often, but we're trying to be very environmentally friendly. And we kind of believe, we believe we, we lead the industry in that um, because we require the warehouses. You can't quite understand how others are doing it if they don't have a facility to, you know, make piles of scrap metal or cardboard. And with, you know, all the home deliveries, cardboard is um, excessive at this point, um, you know, or electronic waste or old washers and dryers. And, um, you know, sometimes there's a desk or a dresser or just a, an extension cord that should go in someone else's hands instead of going to the dump. And so we pride ourselves in kind of sifting through those items and um, getting them in the proper hands. Mm -hmm. That's great. And are, are you in every state at this point in the U.S.? No, uh, I think we're in 37, 38, 36, something like that. Um, some like the North Dakota, South Dakota, Alaska, Hawaii, uh, Montana. Uh, we're not in some of those states, but most of the major MSAs in the country we are in. And then a few in Canada. Mm hmm. And are there um, different challenges experienced in different states by the, the local franchise owners or are, are there pretty similar challenges across I'd, the board? I'd say the brand is very similar um, and the challenges are very similar. Um, if you can't charge as much as we may in California, well, that's because your uh, labor costs are less or your dump fees are less because they have more land in some of those other places. So it always kind of pencils nicely. Um, there are local regulations that may be a little bit stiffer in states like California um, versus if you're in the middle of the country. Um, but for the most part, we're in a customer service industry that you want to make customers happy. Um, and our systems are software driven, which I think is very unique um, compared to many service companies. I mean, we're certainly not a software company. We're a junk removal and hauling business, but our backend systems that are proprietary help us to run the company very uh, efficiently. Mm -hmm. And that's software that you guys developed in-house? Yeah, the uh, junkware, as we call it, um, have been building that uh, probably since two or three years in, so probably 2008. Um and at first, it was just a scheduling software uh, to put jobs. We run a national call center for our franchisees. And so as calls came in, we would dispatch them out, for lack of a better term, through the scheduling software. And then that has just evolved into this massive proprietary software that can track every KPI um, 
that you would want in your business in real time. So um, we're excited about that. Franchisees can look at their labor costs or their cost of goods at any time, labor, gas, dumping fees, um, per truck, per day, per job, um, just a kind of real time. Um, we have a uh, pricing estimator that we've won awards for that give you pricing. Um, we're very transparent with our pricing online. So customers have an idea of, you know, how our services work and, and what it's going to cost instead of getting some surprise when we get out there. Um, but then we can track marketing. Uh, we link it to our GPS, which linked to our finance systems. It's linked to a phone system. So when customers call us, we know if they've used our services before, et cetera. So pretty robust system. Have you thought of using that system in other industries? Do you think it has some applicability elsewhere? Um, absolutely, 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's kind of uh, always been pushed to the back burner because there's always something that's more exciting to you know, put the IT team, you know, involved in, in building our, the network that, that the junkware that will kind of help build or improve their systems in the junk, you know, in the overall junk industry. But could anybody in the service industry with a truck use it? Absolutely. Um, is that something that will probably come in the future? Probably. Um, I started to mess around with it at one point and then just don't, the time is not necessarily there. Um, the resources are, but the time. And so, yeah, there's other companies out there that have built the same software and who have done very well and been invested in. And um, we've kind of had this for the last seven, eight years. And I keep saying I'm going to do it, but who knows? Starting a whole other business just about, right? To push that out the door. Yeah. But being in the Bay Area, we all have yeah. to be in software in some way, shape or form. So um, I, w- I should I should do it at some point here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How has your uh, personality helped or hindered the growth of Junk King, would you say? Um, I mean, I would think it's helped a lot. Um, I'm a people person. Uh, I, I like to please people and I like people to be happy. Um, you know, kind of happy wife, happy life. I kind of do that across, uh, you know, all team members. We have a really strong culture here. Um, my leadership skills are very much around, you know, I, again, I told you I was chasing like a football career or sporting career in college. So, you know, when you're a team, everybody has to do their job, especially on a football field, um, and work together and communicate and understand your role. So, um, I think I've brought that to the workplace um, and here at Chung King. Now, I do think that sometimes I could be too nice. And, and so that where it's hindered is that you're, you're, you worry a lot about people or, yeah, but they're, this is their situation. And, and you can get taken advantage of a little bit um, in hindsight to always put there's a good cop, bad cop uh, role sometimes um, because I'm like, ah, yeah, just whatever. Like if that makes them happy, give him, give him the job title or whatever the case may be. Maybe that's a bad example, but I tend to be very relaxed, you know, win the war, not the battle. I don't get upset very easy. You won't see me like lose it or any of that mistakes happen. It's how we move forward and kind of fix that, um, recognize it. I think my biggest pet peeve is those that, are entitled or don't take responsibility for kind of their actions. Um, 
So if you do, and you know, we're like, Oh, I screwed that up. Let's fix it. Then like, how is it? You can't really yell at someone who's like, yeah, I made a mistake, you know? Um, so I think we have that culture here that it's okay to, you know, make a mistake or be late on a deadline as long as we're communicating and trying to see things through. Um, and it's from the top down from, from our COO to, or me, the CEO, down to every driver and navigator on our trucks across the country. Our training is a, is a lot around what is the culture you want to build in your local franchise? Because they're different for every owner. It's a little bit different on how they want to do that. Um, but I think at the end, the core, if it's coming from us, kind of translates a little bit to them. And then they kind of tweak it a little bit. So we're just kind of a one big family um, in some respect around here. Mm-hmm. You you mentioned the culture. How would you define, aside from the culture of your headquarters there, um, aside from the fact where it sounds like it's a place of innovation, you know, I think yeah. empowering people to do things and make mistakes and being okay with that is is really one of the number one ways to to increase innovation, right? You never well, want and people to you be afraid to, of that. I'm either really good at delegation or really lazy, one or the other. Um but like, I really want people, if it comes in and it's marketing situation or call center or ops or whatever, then you kind of let them run with, that's why you hire these specialists is to um, put you in a place that, that they understand and have more work experience or background than you may have. Um, so I really just allow people to be themselves um, and take a department and run with it. Of course, we're so collaborative and communicate so much. It, it, I always know what's going on or we as a team always know what's going on. Um, our culture is very relaxed, um, you know, from a dress code perspective and just like joking and uh, having fun, you know, work hard, play hard. And everyone still hits deadlines and um, gets things done and scales the company and takes a lot of pride in, in the red um, or the brand or the name Um in their local community, it kind of just translate if you treat everybody kind of like family and that they're part of a, a system that cares about them. Um, so yeah, I would argue that's our culture is like very relaxed environment. Like you don't need to be too uptight and it's not a dictatorship around here by any means. It's very collaborative um, effort. Do you bring your franchisees together uh, yeah, to connect with one another or how do you... We do. We have um, an annual conference every year um, that we do. Uh, normally in California, this last year we did it in Florida. It's such an awesome event. And, and they don't really come to hear us speak. Of course, we all, every department has their, you know, hour or two to get up and present, you know, year in review, what we're doing moving forward, et cetera. But it's just so great to see them get together and talk to each other collaboratively about what they're doing or meet other peers that are um, kind of facing the same challenges that they are every day. Normally when you come to training, um, you'll build a relationship with others in that training group. And so you'll always keep in touch with them. Um, but then when you go to the conference, you'll meet others and those that have been in the systems longer. Um, we have a forum that franchisees communicate with each other a lot um, that has no corporate influence, frankly. So it's just for the franchisees to communicate. And then we have uh, our franchise advisory council and we have a bunch of different task forces 
um, for different aspects of the business. So if something comes up on that forum that needs corporate attention or that something that they want implemented or discussed or whatever, it will come to us through, um, you know, side channels of people in those different task forces or groups and say, Hey, this came up, you know, we're trying to find better ways to, uh, hire employees or find um, employees or what about this marketing program or that marketing program or better tool to do estimates or whatever the case may be, you get back to us and then we'll try to see it through. Mm. How do you maintain consistency among all your franchisees just around, especially customer service? That seems to be a real important one to you. Yeah, we take a lot of pride in the customer service and we track it in a couple of ways. Of course, reviews, um, the more reviews you see, um, the better. And so we have reviews on kind of the public platforms where you see, you know, the four or five stars um, when you're doing a search. And then we have uh, reviews that come to us internally on down to a per driver navigator level. Um, so they're all kind of being tracked on their customer service, which then funnels up to that franchise and then overall to the corporate unit and NPS score. Um, and then I just think when you come to training and they see what you're all about, like the consistency is just there across the board, especially if you just communicate with your franchisees a lot. Um, and everybody kind of want to replicate what you've created as the flagship. Um, so they'll try to do that on almost down to the culture level and the customer service level. Um, it, we're, we're all about, you know, getting a customer return referral customer and, and, you know, for lack of a better term, them, you know, us being added to their Rolodex um, nowadays, cell phones, um, so that next time they have junk, they just pick up the phone and they go to their contacts and they call us direct um, instead of having to continue to do a search because you weren't maybe happy with that service. Um, you used it, but you weren't really thrilled. And next time you're going to try somebody else. Um, we really that we don't want that. And, and um, we really want you to use our services, tell your friends and family, and that all comes down to service. So mm, Totally. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. agree more. How much time passed between when you first launched Junk King in the Bay Area and you had your first franchisee? Um, it's a good question. So we started in 05 and we awarded our first franchise that was kind of third party. I had some friends that started in, in San Jose, Silicon Valley um, after about three years. Um, but our first franchise was ten year, five years in 2010, excuse me, of somebody I didn't know. And they picked up the phone and went through our sales process and like, oh my God, we sold a franchise um, or awarded a franchise. Um, and they're still in our system today uh, out of Columbus, Ohio, which is interesting because we run the call center and now we have to run the call center. The hours are different and it just really wasn't thought through back then. But um, yeah, I would say five years and, and many challenges of, you know, the right attorneys to hire, the right agreements, um, CPAs and different things. We made some mistakes. So when we kind of awarded the franchise in 2008 to our friends of like, go, go get a truck and start down there. It wasn't really a franchise uh, per se. We started to go through the whole documentation process that we thought would take about six months. And that took about a year and a half um, because we had hired people that weren't specialists in the franchise industry and franchise attorneys. It's a different world and you, and you need them. Um, 
So we, we eventually did that and got it all figured out by 2010. So five years. And, and how many franchisee, franchisees do you have now? 150, I think, units. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, yeah. And, and so in, in 12 years, you grew by 150 yeah. just about. Yeah, we've done about 10 or 15 a year, you know, some stalled points and, and had a really good year last year. Um, we also sell pretty big population and territory. So we'll never be um, like the restaurant industry where they can open one in every city uh, five miles apart. You know, our territories are 500,000 population. Um, so it could be a pretty big radius per se, like in your, I think you're in Pittsburgh, you said, or in that area. Um, we have one in Northern, you know, uh, Pittsburgh and one in Southern Pittsburgh. They're each, I think about eight, 900,000 population. Um, so we have two units there. Um, maybe you could get them to split into a third, but you could have, you know, if you had a deli sandwich store, you could have 30 of them or how many Starbucks are there in Pittsburgh. Right. So, um, yeah, we're pretty proud of that number, 150. Yeah, no, that's amazing. That's incredible growth. Have, have the last two years really impacted your business in, in a massive growth type of way? I, I know I found myself cleaning out closets that yeah. I hadn't touched, <laughs> being home a you, lot more. You know, initially, you know, I think everybody kind of froze. So we had our first month ever that we hadn't grown year over year, um, right when the pandemic hit. Um, and then when people kind of started to get back in the flow of things, um, our consumer business increased tremendously. Um which we're excited about because again, we pride ourselves on service. And if new consumers are using us, then that's great for the future. Um, now our B2B side of things did slow down a little bit um, just because we weren't working with as many realtors or property managers. Um, the uh, people weren't really moving at this time or, uh, you know, doing some of those other things. So we saw a slowdown there, but an increase on the consumer side. So overall, a positive, um, except for one month. Um, but, you know, we always feel like junk is kind of pent up demand um, that you'll need eventually. Uh, so, you know, we had some strong months thereafter and, you um, became an essential business in many ways. Um, so we were open the whole time. Um, California corporate being in California, I think had some protocols early on and we're a little bit more aggressive with, you know, just mask wearing and, you know, how you manage your crews to come in and out of the office. So since we did that, of course, then we, you know, created the formula for the rest of the country to say, Hey, you may be two weeks behind, you know, having to wear masks or stagger your crews come in or how to communicate with customers and going in and out of their houses. Um, we had done that. And so it helped us, you know, just kind of stay, continue moving. Mm -hmm. But I think every business you just, you're throwing obstacles, whether it's this one or any other obstacle and you have to kind of I mean, you sink or swim, right? Um, so you're out there, you're out there swimming and you try to find something, a floating device, um, depending on the severity of the situation. And so that's, you know, kind of what you do. Oh yeah, totally. It definitely takes uh, having a lot of resilience and figuring things out on the fly and being decisive, right? Right. Yeah. Where do you see your future going? What, what, what's next for you in your life? from a business perspective? 
business or personal um personally i want to coach more little league <laughs> spend more time with my kids um they're young and amazing and they still want to be around me because they're nine years old and i hear that may change um when they get to be 12 or 13 or 14 or 15 the hugs to say goodbye when they get out of the car for school and things like that are are the 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 time is near um you know, I have other service ideas that I kind of want to jump into at some point. Um, software is is something I would want to jump into. And then if I want to lose some money, maybe open a, a sports bar or something that would be more of a passion project. Um, that, all joking aside, I know there's probably some very successful restaurant owners in the sports bar industry, but um, I just always thought that would be fun. Um, yeah, so I'd probably stay in service. I've, I get opportunities all the time from people. Um, and then sometimes they're in manufacturing or, you know, they try to, they want to do business with me because they've seen success and in, in those things. But really, if it's not in your wheelhouse, I can't offer anything to them. Um, and I'm pretty clear with that um, overall. Uh, maybe culture and management and those things, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, but I don't know how to go to market on, on manufacturing a product and distributing that product or something like that. So I would probably stay in my wheelhouse and do something else in service home services. Um, cause there's still a lot of opportunity there in my opinion. Um, and I don't want to give away all my secrets. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I wouldn't want you to give them all away either. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but yeah. <laughs> Michael, for someone thinking of starting a business that wants to grow through franchise, what would be some of your top, say, two or three tips to them? I mean, I guess it depends on on where they are in their life, on what kind of advice I would give them. Um, I would say if you're young and you don't have a mortgage or you're not, I mean, being married would be okay, but no kids. So you, you have minimal responsibilities, like go for it. Um what's the worst thing can happen? It doesn't work. Um, that's the worst case scenario. And you're not like out of house and home and you weren't able to provide for your family during that time. So I would say if you're passionate about something, you know, try it and go for it. I meet people all the time and say, Oh, I just want to start my own thing, or I'm working in this industry and, and I could do this on my own. And I'm really like, you just got to go for it. And that's very scary for people. So I commend our franchisees who, who come into our system that, you know, have a mortgage, are married, have three kids, and like they're leaving a well-paying job or they, or they're not being paid now, but they could certainly go find something that is steady um, in, in the workforce, but they decide to kind of follow their dream of opening their own business. Um, so I would say go for it as, as simple as that may sound. Um, and then sound, you know, create, put smart people around you. Don't be afraid to kind of ask questions or reach out to people. I, I, the other day I had a kid reach out to me. He was 18 years old on my LinkedIn and he just said, Hey, can I ever call you for advice? Um, you know, I'm doing X, Y, and Z in the home services. And, you know, I like to surround myself with smart people. Um, and I said, well, you're the smart part, but the experience may be different with me, but, um, you know, like you got to do that. And I, because of the way he reached out, I actually sent the kid my cell phone. I don't even know who he is. And he found me on LinkedIn, but like, like good for you, you know, like go, 
go try it, you know, and surround yourself with people that you can ask questions to that have kind of been there and done that. And then I think something that's overlooked early on is like kind of the expense of an attorney or CPA. Um, I avoided those early on um, because you're like a $10,000 retainer. That's all the money I have. What are you talking about? I'm trying to start this business. Um, so there's, there can be creative ways to, you know, get some great advice or maybe a small piece of equity you give them or you negotiate some of the pricing, but you really got to set yourself up with a strong foundation, um, to protect yourself from like insurance, um, finance, um, agreements, different contracts you're signing and, and things like that, or, or creating overall. I know that yeah. was kind of a roundabout answer, but. No, no, it was great. Uh, you know, a lot of people that listen to this are growing businesses of their own. I think the franchise model is a really interesting one. And, and I, you know, working and branding myself, I could see, you know, some of the challenges being maintaining the integrity of the brand and not just the visual elements, but again, you know, like the culture that you explained and what you want to be synonymous with. I think those are some of the more challenging things is like picking people that are going to represent your company as, as you hope it is, right? Right. And I think I think franchising is a huge opportunity for people and a great opportunity to start your own business because you're getting so much support and many people want to go in business, but you do it with somebody because you're unconsciously maybe scared to do it on your own. So you bring a partner along. Um, I think in franchising, you get that partner um, immediately kind of built in, who's invested in the same goals as you. Um, and, and hopefully they have systems in play that can help you kind of launch and, you know, we can launch our franchises in six to eight weeks, you know, from, from signing agreement to trucks and doing jobs. Um, and, and that means all around the marketing programs and those things. So there's a lot of value in kind of, you know, maybe buying an existing business or joining a franchise system. Or if you're young enough, you kind of, you kind of just start it. And like I did, and, and one thing leads to the next. I think the other thing I would add to as you launch your business is don't be afraid to market. You got to spend money to make money. And I know that can be kind of scary, but we did that early on. So I don't know really any different. Um, but we just tried different marketing programs. Part of it was because when someone would come in and sell you on a program, you would negotiate it so much that like, I'm not using your rate card. First of all, new business owners, if they come in with the rate card, just laugh at them because you're not going off that. We can use it as a starting point, but I'm certainly not spending that on, on your program. Um, and you kind of negotiate to see where they are. And then we would negotiate such good deals. We'd almost have to sign up for the program. Um, and then you would find out if they work. And, and, and you don't know until you try and you really have to build your brand. So, you know, you may not pay yourself right away. You reinvest in the business and marketing programs. There's many times our franchisees are paying employees more than they're making because they're like launching and even, even day one, you're paying an employee an hourly wage. You're, you're not making anything um, because you're trying to build a business and you can't lose sight of that, like creating bonus structures or giving them raises and really making and building that strong culture before you're 
You know, you're like, wait a minute, I'm the one that should get the raise. It's my business. I'm the one who writes the checks and has the stress and all those things. But you really have to look at, you know, what kind of foundation you're building uh, within your team to build a successful company. Mm -hmm. When you launched, you did have one major competitor in your space. Did you look at that competitor and think to yourself, I really have to differentiate or, you know, was it a threat to you in any way to know that there's another company out there doing what you were doing? Or did you look at it with opportunity and think, wow, there's so much more business out there? Yeah, it was one. Mm -hmm. I would say looking back at it um, there, it's both um, that there was so much opportunity. There's Pepsi and Coke, right? Um, So there's so much opportunity out there for others to, come in and, and there's so much opportunity and so many homeowners uh, to haul junk. Um, so we knew that there was opportunity um, to be success, successful with or without them. But then you're like, well, we should build bigger trucks um, so that our customers get more value. Um, or we should have a color that stands out more so that our brand is strong. Um, we should focus on the environment and recycling a little bit more than they do, if not a lot more than they do. So I think it was kind of a combination of both. It's just like anything you're doing in life. Um, if I am a basketball player, if I take more free throws than my competitor, like practicing, then I should have a higher percentage of, of making those shots. So it's just like putting the work and effort in and how do you differentiate differentiate yourself as a company, as an individual, just like you would kind of in life, um, in a job interview, you know, why are you different than the next person? And why does that company need me? It's kind of the same thing on, on, on a higher level. Um, why does the consumer want to use us versus the competitor? Yeah, so true. Do you see Junk King maintaining the growth you've had over the last couple of years? You said about 10 to 15 new franchises a year. Yeah, we were talking about that yesterday with our board is there's a lot of opportunity. Um, and we, we may add, we've added, you know, self-service. So our, our, our core business is we show up with a truck with two to three individuals on that truck. Um, and we do all the work for the um, consumer. They point at items and we haul those items away and recycle them. Um, the dumpster side of things of where we drop off a bin and it's more self-service for the customer that we drop it off, you load it and we come pick it back up and then handle those materials properly as well is only about a third of our system right now. Um, So we still have a long ways to go to build that side of things. Um, And we have some other creative ideas that we can drive more revenue for our franchise partners, but still within our core business without opening some other brand that has really nothing to do with junk removal. Um, But yeah, I mean, we, we, we think we can continue to grow this way for many years to come. So we don't really see that ceiling yet, or even my local unit that's been here for so many years um, is still seeing growth um, this year. Um, So our February, you know, we're up year over year. So that's exciting to see that we're not like plateaued yet. Um, So you can scale you know, you're, the low hanging fruits kind of there for lack of a better term, you got to get more granular and more invested in your community and all, all these communities. I'm a service, you know, 25, 30 individual cities as you go through the Bay area. And can we do better at getting involved in the community? And most of those, the answer is yes. So um, I think the future is very bright. 
No, that's great. Michael, where's the best place for people to learn about you or to connect with you? Well, or if they want to get a franchise, of course. Yeah, of course. Go to our website, www.junk. And then there's a dash, junk-king.com. And then on the site, there's a franchise tab. Um, you can always call our call center for a job. Our phone number is 888-888-JUNK, which is um, junk is 5865. So 888-888-5865. Um, yeah, and just do a Google search. You'll find us. We're really strong on the web. Um, we're there. Of course, our social teams have done a really good job marketing um, our you know Facebook page and corporate LinkedIn page and things like that. So uh, pretty excited about that. We, that's not really my expertise, the marketing side. Um, it's more the customer service and networking side that I was always really good at. And when we brought in a really good marketer, um, it's really helped the brand tremendously. And so you got to hire smart people and we've done that. That's great. Thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Business of You. If you found a little dose of inspiration or learned something new, please leave a review and share it with a friend or even two. Interested in building your brand and business? Tune in next time to The Business of You podcast. And remember, there's only one you. You're the biggest differentiator your business has. Until next time, friends.